It is a blessing to preach <clears throat> to faces and not just a camera, or at least half of faces. Uh, from here up, I can see your eyes, and that is good. Um, as we come again, we're continuing our studies in the book of the Bible. Because if I were to say the book of Colossians, you know that we've uh, broadened the scope here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Uh, there's a lot packed into here, directions for parents, expanding it with the parallel in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Withhold not, hold, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, the Bible says, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. Well, this is our desire that our children be saved. Of all the desires of parents, all the longings that they be uh, useful citizens in the kingdom, in, in the kingdom of God, of course, but in, in the country even, just as a basic level, that they be decent, law-abiding, responsible, hardworking, our greatest desire is that they be saved. And so we want to see them saved. We want to see them knowing God's word and God's way and then walking in that way, which only he can convert them to. But we can lay the foundation. We can <clears throat> apply the tools that God gives, preach his word, teach his word, apply his word, train them. But we need to pray. And so let's ask as we continue our study here that God would help us, help me as the preacher to preach that word faithfully, passionately, with application, practically, and preach it understandably. But let's pray that each hearer would listen with ears of obedience. Let's pray to that end. Our fathers, we come before you. We recognize that uh, only you can change hearts. Only you can save our children and yet you have put in our hands the tools, the instruments that you have ordained, that they would be trained, that they would be taught, that they would come to know your ways, and we plead that they would know from these means that your way is best, and that the way of faith, of trusting in the Savior, is the way of life. And so we ask that you would use the parents in this church, to train their children properly. We know that only you can save and that there is no promise in Scripture that all of our children will be saved if we are faithful. But we do plead that you would help us to be faithful and that you would save each and every child, young person at Trinity Baptist Church. So this is our cry, this is our longing, this is our earnest heart plea for your help and your blessing. We ask it through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I think that few would argue that the state of the family is in a crisis in our country with a high rate of divorce, children born out of wedlock, not even knowing who their father or mother perhaps even is, of dysfunctional families maybe hanging together by a thread. Children are growing up without the stability and comfort of a stable, loving environment. What's the result of that? Well, as God's Proverb puts it, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. The converse, sadly, also has truth. If you let a child go his own way, he brings shame to his mother, to his parents. If you let him go his own way when he's old, unless grace intervenes, and there's our hope. And that's what many of us have experienced when grace intervenes, there can be exceptions. But unless grace intervenes, when that child who's left to his way grows up, it's a disaster. 
And that's what we're seeing in our society. And this is nothing new. This is not just new to this generation, although it's getting worse and worse. I remember as a young person, when I was about 13 years old, uh, my parents sent me to a boys' Christian camp for two weeks. And this Christian camp had different programs. You could go for two weeks. You could go for a, a month. You could go the whole summer. There was only one boy who was there the whole summer. And he was a terror. His parents wanted him out of the house for the whole summer. And they were willing to pay what was in 1969 dollars, more than $1,000, to have their child out of the home the whole summer. They were happy to have it so. And the counselors at the camp just learned how to deal with him, and we all had to put up with him. But my point, by this long introduction, and I'm going to have to cut it down for time, but the point is... We need to spend time studying in this, these weeks how should we raise our children? What is God's way that we avoid this mess, for our families at least, and for the good of our country, that there be some young people who grow up and be solid citizens and able to do work and able to perhaps lead? Why don't we have leaders in this country today? Well, because sadly, a generation or two ago, parents failed in what they're doing. And so we come to the inspired Word of God. And I, I say this, all of this introductory material again, just to encourage you, hang with us here. I don't know if some of you are getting weary of so many weeks of dealing with parenting. I am. Uh, well, <laughs> um, no, not seriously. I've asked myself week after week, is it time to bring this to an end? And then I get notes, emails of appreciation along the way. And okay, well, we'll, we'll hang with it another week. And so uh, where are we? Well, I'm not going to go to a review. I was thinking about maybe we need to have a review Go back in sermon audio, and you can review there, okay? So if you're new, you haven't been with us for the rest of this series, you've just, you're a visitor today, or you've come in out of, uh, dropped in from Mars, well, you can go to sermon audio, and we're talking about how to raise children according to the Bible. We don't exasperate them. We don't push them to anger. We don't want them to lose heart. But rather, we want to train them. We want to teach them. We have to admonish them verbally. And we have to correct them. And we're on this third part of child training, which is correction. Last week, we considered admonition, verbal correction. And also, we began to consider uh, discipline, and I'm going to use these three words uh, almost synonymously, uh, correction, discipline, punishment. Uh, I'll put those all together. Now, I'm going to skip ahead of all that review material and come to what's new for today. We're going to deal with discipline, spanking. And I have several questions to ask and hopefully answer as we go through. And the first question is this. Does discipline always mean spanking? Someone emailed me with a, a question about this. And uh, I think it's worth noting, and perhaps this is the good place to insert it. When you talk about child discipline, does that always mean you have to spank the little rascal? Well, the short answer is No. Are there other forms of biblical child discipline? And the short answer is yes. And what do I mean? Well, I'm talking about withholding privilege. Not timeouts, not that this is a replacement for the rod, because the Bible says a lot more about the rod, especially in the book of Proverbs, than it does about withholding privilege. But there are biblical examples, as God did with Moses. And you remember the story in Numbers chapter 20, when the people were grumbling about being thirsty in the wilderness again, again, and uh, sound familiar, parents? <laughs> children can go over the same thing again. Well, so did the children of Israel. And perhaps Moses, having this same story again, was uh, perhaps a little fed up. And so we have this example, Numbers 20 and verse 9. And God told him to take the rod. Let's go back to verse 8. 
Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock. Notice, speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. Well, so far, so good. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water from you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rod, the, the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And so what did Moses do? Well, he lost it. This man who was more meek than all the uh, other men on the earth, as it says in, um, I think that's at the end of Deuteronomy, description of Moses. Well, here he lost it. And he said, it, God tells him, speak to the rock. And he speaks to the sons of Israel. You rebels. <laughs> he's, he's up to here. Parents, can you understand this? Do you get this? Again? You rebels! And he whacks the rock not once but twice. Not, doesn't speak to the rock. He speaks to the sons of Israel, whacks the rock, and they do get their water. But what was Moses' sin? He is God's prophet. He is to represent God to the nation. He is God's mouthpiece. Did he speak God's word? No. He spoke out of his anger and irritation, and he did not represent God rightly in his mercy. God mercifully is going to give them water, even with their rebellion. Moses speaks in irritation. You did not represent me well. You did not present me as holy. Treat me as holy before the sons of Israel. And what is the punishment? You're kept back. Privilege is withheld from you. What privilege? The privilege of leading God's people into that promised land for which they left Egypt, according to the promise given to Abraham centuries before. You're not going to enter it. You'll see it from the mountain, but you're not going to go in there. Withholding privilege as punishment. In a way, we see this also with church discipline. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, for that church member who is acting unruly, who is walking in rebellion and disobedience, and yet he's still a brother, we read in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14, and if anyone does not obey our instruction, I hear pages turning, I'll give you a minute. Verse 14 of 2 Thessalonians 3, familiar words, unfortunately familiar, because we do need them. All of us, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him. Withhold from him the blessing and privilege and joy of Christian fellowship so that he may be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Withholding privilege withholding blessing, privative discipline, I believe would be the technical term. Yes, there is a place for withholding uh, a privilege, okay? I'm not, you, you, I told you to put away your toys. You didn't put away your toys. For one week, you can't have that toy. I told you, son that you're only to have the screen time for one hour, you've been on there, no screen time for a week. No cell phone for a week because you did not obey. And especially as the child grows older, the uh, swing from perhaps using the rod to using deprivation of privilege 
that may be more the form of discipline. And that's just to say, and I'm trying to wrap all this up in, uh, in, in short, withholding privilege is a biblical form of discipline, but it is not to replace the rod. It is not to say, oh, well, the rod, that's terrible. You know, we're not going to spank our children. The rod, there's much more spoken of the rod in the Bible than there is, and I had to scour, I had to think deeply to find those illustrations, than there is of deprivation of privilege. And so it's not a replacement. We're not saying, well, we're not going to spank. We'll use timeouts or, or whatever. We're going to put our kid in his room with all his toys, and he'll just have to suffer with it. Um, no, not to replace, but as a supplement, as another form uh, and, you know, here, I, I thought of this question when I was preparing the sermon. All the questions that you could ask me. Well, when do we use that instead of spanking? Uh, there are so many situations that I cannot write a manual. You have to pray for wisdom and ask God's help to know what to do in each situation. And you ask me about a certain circumstance, maybe I can give you some guidance. Uh, don't call me up at 3 a.m., but really you need to call God's hotline. You need to pray for wisdom in every circumstance because the different situations are legion. And now the next question that I want to answer with regard to this matter, and again, I'm seeking to apply biblical truth, seek out biblical examples, illustrations, uh, as I give you broad principles. The, second, the, the next question is this, when not to discipline, what are situations that do not require discipline or spanking? And this is important because uh, as parents, you know, you, you're confronted with a situation of something that you don't like, but maybe it doesn't call for discipline. What are those situations? Well, first of all, childishness. Uh, children will not act as 30 years old, 30 year olds, excuse me. They do silly things. And foolishness is not childishness. When it, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the rod of this, my child's acting foolish. Well, you know, sometimes it's just childishness. It, the foolishness in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, is rebellion, not just childishness. I remember my little sister, and I can tell this on her, she's 50 plus years old now, and she won't be embarrassed if she ever tunes into this sermon. But I remember when she was little, she and her little friend got on this kick of saying the words strudel noodle, and then convulsing in fits of giggles over and over again until we wanted to tear our hair out. Well, you discipline a child for saying strudel noodle? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's childishness. It's not rebellion. All right, so don't spank a child. Don't discipline a child for merely acting their age. Sometimes parents say to their kids, act your age. And what they mean is act like an adult, which doesn't work. Okay, so that's the first thing. Don't spank or don't discipline a child for childishness. Secondly, lack of ability. It is not right to punish a child for something that you told them to do that they can't do or that your expectation is above their ability. And what I'm talking about here is especially when it comes to schoolwork. Parents want their children to be straight A students. They want them to get everything right. Well, you know, not all kids are math whizzes. Maybe dad's a math whiz. Maybe you're an engineer. And to you, it's like rocket science. Easy. And to your son, it's rocket science. It's math. And it doesn't click. Well, don't 
discipline for something they're not capable of doing. If your, if your expectations are beyond their ability, guess what needs to change? Don't spank them, discipline them for your unreasonable expectations, which they are not able to meet. I think that's enough said about that. Furthermore, thirdly, don't spank your children, don't discipline your children for accidents. When a child accidentally knocks over the glass of milk, that's not because they're rebellious uh, like the Israelites. It's because, like a certain one of our pastors mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that he was the klutz of the world. Well, Maybe that child was born with klutz genes. Guess where they got them? Um, I hope and trust that our pastor did not have his Christian father wail the tar out of him, which uh, we heard that term when I was young. Not that my parents ever did it, by the way. I still have plenty of tar left. Um, but discipline for being klutzy? Now, if you told the child, don't put the glass at the edge of the table, and the child goes like that, well, now that's, that's rebellion. But if accidents happen, it's no use spanking over spilled milk. All right? Fourthly, fourthly, do not discipline a child for in, when there's incomplete information. Now, you remember... Uh, the proverb, the, for, this is Proverbs 18, 17. I'll just read it. You've heard it before. The first to plead his case seems just until another comes along and examines him. And so sister says, you know what Johnny did? And you hear the story. And you go in, grab hold of Johnny and say, come on, we got some dealings. But dad, wait, wait a minute. No, I... I this, this is what happened. We're going to, you know, there are two sides to every story. That's what the proverb just told us. The first, the sister pleads her case, and it sounds very reasonable. And there she is with this angelic smile and a little halo popping out. And you think, oh, I, what, what your brother did was terrible. Always do a little investigation. Listen to your child. Hear them out. Do a little inquiry. And so with incomplete information, you're perhaps not judging righteous judgment. Hear the whole story. Get the facts before you exercise discipline. And then the last thing, and I said this last week, but I want to reiterate it and underscore it. And I may say it again before I'm done. Don't discipline when anger is governing your soul. When you are in a rage... And what that child did is so provoking to you that you're like Moses and you're going to whack a rock. Perhaps that rock is your child. Stand back. Go to your own room. Pray and plead with God for patience, for self-control, long-suffering before you ever lay a rod upon the child. And so that's when you do not discipline. That's when you do not exercise the use of the rod with your child. Childishness, lack of ability, accidents, incomplete information, or when anger is governing your spirit and you are out of control. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. Now, if you have things you'd like to add to my list, well, talk to me afterwards, and I can always add a P.S. Uh, to these sermons. Now, the next question then is perhaps more basic even. When then should we use the rod? When then should we discipline? Well, there are two issues that require, that call for disciplining your children. And the two issues are these. Disobedience, of course, clearly, and secondly, bad attitudes of the heart. Yes, as out of the heart the mouth speaks, out of the heart men act, 
You can make a judgment about the heart based upon what is said and what is done. Not infallibly, perhaps. That's why you ask questions. You do your investigation. You don't misjudge motives. But you can see evidence of what's in the heart from what comes out of the mouth and what is done. And so disobedience and bad attitudes. These are the two things which require discipline. Deuteronomy 6.2. All right, let's see about disobedience. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 2. And we looked a little bit later in this passage as our basic text for teaching your children. But here in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment. Moses writes at the inspiration of the Word of God. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel! You should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. God commands us to do His Word, to follow it. And if not, well, we read last week from Hebrews, quoting Proverbs, that what God does with His children, those whom the Lord loves, He chastens, he disciplines. Every son he receives. And when does he do that? When they disobey. 1 John 2, 3, another verse you're familiar with. You don't even need to look it up. What does it say? By this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. That's obedience. Disobedience calls for discipline. Now, wrong attitudes, where do we see that in the Bible? And again, I'm seeking to use Scripture, not just my opinion, not just pop psychology. What does Scripture say about bad attitudes? God looks at the heart, you see. Here in Deuteronomy, if you kept your finger there, Deuteronomy 5, turn back a page, verse 29. As... The children of Israel came through the wilderness with all of their trials, with all of their rebellion, uh, ten times over. And this is what God says, verse 28 of Deuteronomy 5, And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken when they asked that Moses would go up on the mountain. But then this is what God says. Moses, you go up on the mountain. We don't want to hear God's voice. God says about them, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Yes, I want you to keep my commandments always, but I don't want you to just keep them externally. I want you to have a heart to obey. That's what God says to his people. And that's what we say to our children. I don't want you to just go through the motions. I don't want you to just follow the letter of my instructions. I want you to do it from your heart. The Lord loves a giver. Give us all your money. No, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The attitude of the heart is important in our obedience to our God. And it's important in our children's obedience to us. Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good. You've, know, you've heard this verse before. And what does the Lord require of you? But to just outwardly obey. Is that what your Bible says? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, with your God. The attitude of the heart is important for our obedience 
and it's important for our children's obedience as well. So that leads to a couple follow-up questions still under this heading of when do we discipline or what do we discipline? We discipline disobedience and bad attitudes. Well, what's disobedience? Good question. Well, disobedience, and I'll, I'll give you several answers. I have four if you're taking notes and you want a detailed, detailed, detailed outline. But there are four. What is disobedience? First of all, it's the child's willful determination not to do what he's told to do. Or, flip it over, to do what he's told not to do. You said do it, I'm not going to do it. You said don't, I am. That's disobedience. It's like the citizens in the parable of the minas. When it says in Luke 19, 14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to rule over us. And your child, when he plants his feet and crosses his arms and looks at you with that stony face, he's saying, We're not going to have this parent rule over me. I'm not going to do what you said. That is the heart of disobedience. And so, of course, with our kids, rarely does it come to such a level, such a stand of stubbornness and of hard-heartedness. It's generally much more subtle because kids are not dumb. And they figure that if they make such a stand, that's when they're really asking for it. And so they have a way of uh, hiding or covering or disguising disobedience with different approaches. And uh, the, the next thing, still disobedience, is failure to obey completely. Oh, I did this much, Dad, but you didn't finish the job. I, you, I told you to pick up your toys. Oh, Dad, yeah, look, I, I put the, uh, the trucks away and the cars away. Well, what about the crayons and the paper? Well, I did some of it. Partial obedience is disobedience. What's the illustration? Kids, you know this from your Sunday school, right? What's the illustration of partial obedience? It is King Saul. You got it. I heard it from several locations. King Saul. God told him, all right, we're going to wipe out the Amalekites. Every last one, plus their animal. I don't want to see an Amalekite, an Amalekite sheep, an Amalekite dog. I don't want to have an Amalekite cat walking around here. And what did Saul do? Well, we know the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'll just turn there so I don't get it wrong. 1 Samuel chapter 15, you may want to look there too. Uh, it's, it's that classic story when Samuel confronts Saul with these Amalekites survivors and all of the animals. And verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. Wait a minute have brought back? I obeyed and brought back? Something's missing here. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Didn't you just contradict that? But the people, oh, it was them, took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey means completely. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Disobedience is failure to obey completely. Furthermore, disobedience is failure to obey promptly. Now, kids, I'm sure you've heard this little phrase, 
To delay is to disobey. Now, where is that in the Bible? Well, I, I did a little research because, I, honestly, there's no verse that says it quite that way. That's not in the King James or any other version that I know of. But we do have in Psalm 119 the good example of the opposite. Psalm 119 and verse 16. Psalm 119. And by the way, I'm trying to keep to my time limit. So I will just read the, read the verse from my notes. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Now, is that a good example or a bad example? All right. All the goods? Aye. All the bads? No. The goods have it. Okay? It's a good example. I can read your minds. Um, yes, it's a good example. David says, I did not delay. I promptly obeyed. And so that's where we have not only precept, not only principle, we have practice as one of those ways to discern God's will revealed in Scripture there's the good example of King David, the psalmist. I did not delay. Think of Lot. Lot is told, get out of Sodom. But, 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 you know, but how about Lot's wife? Oh, all the good stuff back there. Remember Lot's wife. Do not imitate that delaying tactic. There was a little boy I knew. Uh, a little boy had red hair, who one day was called by his mother while he was out playing. And this little boy was not as deaf as he is these days, and not as hard of hearing. And he heard his mother say his name. And he was having too much fun. So he pretended that he didn't hear. And he came in later, and his mother said, didn't you hear me calling? Huh? I had just taken a tray of cookies out of the oven, and I thought you might like one. He was deprived. That was the punishment for his delaying of obedience. Kids, don't delay. You don't know what you might be missing. Maybe there's cookies. To delay is to disobey. And then fourthly, Disobedience is failing to obey unless you understand every reason. But what about this? But what about that? You know, as kids get older, yes, they need to be taught more. They need to be, have more explanation. They need to have more reason so that they can understand for themselves and make their own decisions when they come of age. That's a process of teaching and training. But they still need sometimes to just hear it because I said so. Because, dads, you've got authority given by God to you. And if your kid is going to run out into the street and you say, stop, they don't need to run halfway across and say, why? And then the Mack truck hits them and it's too late. There needs to be obedience, even without all the lengthy explanation that they think they deserve. Kids, get that. Your parents know what they're doing. And maybe there's a time for asking later, getting the information, getting the reasons so that you can be instructed to make your own decisions when, you, when that time comes. But obedience is not saying, well, if I, if I agree with it, then I'll obey. If your reasoning matches my understanding, well, then it's okay. No, there's authority in the family. God didn't give Adam and Eve a reason about the forbidden fruit. He just said, the day you eat it, you die. Did they? Yes, spiritually they died, and the seeds of death were sown, and they died, and they died, and they died. God didn't give a reason. He just said, the tree that's in the middle of the garden, you shall not touch it or eat from it. Or not, sorry, you just don't eat from it. It's the devil who said, don't touch it. All right, so we don't have to have reasons. That's, that's still disobedience, delaying until you get a good explanation. No obedience. Disobedience needs discipline of one sort or another. Again, little kids, maybe the more on the rod side as they grow older, more on the deprivation or admonishing side, but correction. 
Now, what is a wrong attitude? And I hasten here uh, because I do want to wrap this up today. What is a wrong attitude? Well, when the disobedience is not cheerful, they're doing it. All right, Dad. Dad says so. Okay. If it's not cheerful, it's not acceptable. What does God say to us? What, and by the way, part of my pattern here is the kind of obedience that God wants from us. What does God want from us? All right, God, you'll, you said, oh, I'll do it. Is God happy with that? Are parents happy with that? What does God want? Psalm 100, verse 2. And I think after two and a half years, you know that's one of my favorite verses. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. God doesn't want your mere stubborn, rebellious, grudging obedience. He wants obedience from the heart. That's what we want from our kids. And when they cross their arms and say, all right, I'll do it. You said so. It's not obedience that's acceptable. That attitude needs correction. When the obedience is merely external but not hearty, this is what God tells even slaves. And yes, in the time of the New Testament, slavery was an existing institution. It was undermined by all the directions of the New Testament, by the way. But it was existing. And what then were the slaves told to do in Colossians? We'll get there. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Do your work as unto the Lord, not unto men knowing that from the Lord you have the reward of the inheritance. And so, what kind of obedience? Hardy. Do it from the heart. And you know the story of the little boy who was told to sit down, and he was a stubborn little rascal. And by the way, that one didn't have red hair. But this little boy sat down, his arms crossed, and a scowl on his face, and the father said to him, Son, why do you have that look on your face? And the little boy honestly answered, because outside I'm sitting down, but inside I'm still standing. It's not obedience, not from the heart. And so those attitude problems need to be addressed lovingly, faithfully, diligently, hopefully consistently. Now, while I uh, laid down last night, to go to sleep, my wife and I were talking about this sermon, and she said, well, so uh, what, what's the goal of discipline? I said, you know, I didn't put that in there. So I want to end uh, more or less this morning with this question. What's the goal? What are we looking for? When you spank a child, when you discipline, when you correct, when you withhold privilege, what are you looking for? Just that he's going to suffer for what he did? No. We want to see change. And what's the change we want to see? We want to see from, from rebellion, we want to see if you could put a little measurement meter on their hearts, plug a little tester in, and you could see the meter of the heart. You want it to go from rebellion to repentance. You want to see that meter go from stubbornness to sweetness. You want to see it go from defiance to obedience. Now, of course, we can't necessarily read the heart, but again, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and that which comes from the heart displays what's in the heart. And so what do we have as tools to accomplish that swing in the meter? Well, you've got admonition. You've got correction, whether that's the tool of the rod or as the child grows older, perhaps more deprivation, but correction of whatever form. And don't forget one more tool. All prayer. All prayer. This past week or so, I saw on the Internet a little clip of a man named Glenwyn. Glenwyn Blaze, speaking about his father, Ashiel. 
And he told the story of how he had disobeyed his dad and done something, lied to him, I believe was the case. His dad sent him up to his room, and he was waiting there and waiting. His dad didn't come right away. He heard his dad crying to God in his room, praying for his son. And that left a mark. Years later, grown man, thinking back over the legacy of his father. Pray for your kids. Pray that discipline will be effectual. Pray God will use it and change their hearts, soften them, swing them from rebellion to repentance, from stubbornness to sweetness, from disobedience and defiance to humble, gracious obedience. This is the goal. That's what we want to see. Not to make you feel better. Not to get your anger out. Not to say, well, I did my job as a parent, as a member of TBC. It's not about you. It's about them and God's glory in your family. So parents, as we wrap up, we, we might have an occasion, and, and I believe this is my last message on parenting for now, but maybe we'll have a time in an adult Bible class whenever we can do that to address some of those practical nuts and bolts things. But brethren, let me close by a few words. First is, you see what God expects? All along I've been saying, well, this is what God wants us to do. This is how he wants us to obey. Brethren, God wants your hearts. He's not looking for a bunch of automatons who woodenly followed the commandments. God wants your heart. Give him your heart. Come to him in humility. Come to him in lowliness. Come to him in adoration. Serve him with joy and gladness. God wants your heart. And that's why a mere external form of religion. Dear friends, some of you may be tuned in on the internet. God does not want a mere external form of religion. Fumbling your beads and going through motions. God doesn't give a hoot about that. God wants your heart. And that heart means that you turn from sin in the heart. And you trust him from your heart. And put all your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior for sinners. Secondly, as we close this morning, parents, this is a big job. This is the biggest thing you'll ever do. It's parent kids. Maybe your job is important. Maybe you've got a lot of people working under you. But those one, two, seven, ten kids you've got at home, that's the most important thing. Failure here is not an option. Of course, you can't change their hearts. God can. And I know there are parents here who are brokenhearted because their kids have grown up and rebelled in spite of all you've done. And you're asking your, yourself questions as you hear this series. Where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? What did I do? And maybe the answer is, you did your best under God. None of us is perfect. We all fail. We all point blame at ourselves. Parents, it's a big job. And ultimately, it drives us to our knees. God, bless your word to my kids. Deliver them from Sheol, from hell. Our greatest longing. And parents, as I see your kids grow up here, and some of them were already grown and out of the home before I even came back to Trinity from the Philippines. But my heart's with your heart in pleading with God that those kids be turned around. God's grace can do it. He's able to do exceeding, don't forget that word, exceeding abundantly, more than you can ask or even think. Let's continue to ask for them. Now, as we close, last thing. People may be asking, all right, this is 
I think the fifth sermon on the positive duty of fathers, parents, we had two on the negative duty. Before that, we had husbands and wives and so on and children. And you say, why all this? I mean, this this country's in a crisis. The people are dying and go to hell, going to hell. Why do we have so many sermons on parenting? (laughs) That's why. We need them. Parents need them. But you see, there's always a reflection. I hope you you can pull this out. Even if you're not a parent, maybe you're single. You're all kids somehow. But I hope you can pull out the application for yourself. Because God wants your heart. He wants your obedience. He wants you to model before your kids how an obedient child looks at his father in love. Are you doing that? And you know, the only way you can do that is by grace. You say, what does this have to do with the gospel? It has everything because you see, only the gospel can change your heart. And only the gospel can give you forgiveness of sins. And only Christ can help you be the parent you should be. Oh yeah, there are good parents in the world by common grace. Yeah, better than the average. But you know, you need God's help. You need God's help. And so what the world needs is not more laws, more or less police or more child development experts. What we need is radical heart change for the family, for the country. You must be born again. And you need Christ who died on the cross to save sinners like you and me. That's his business. And that's what he does. Come to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the gospel. We do thank you that there is heart change, deep renovation, moral recovery, because Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. We do pray for Christian parents here at Trinity Baptist Church and all those who may listen to this sermon or watch it on the Internet We ask, O God, that you would help these parents to do their job faithfully, to do it as best they can, trusting in your grace, looking to you for help and wisdom, crying to you for blessing upon their efforts to the salvation of our precious children. It's our heart's longing. It's our cry to you that they be saved. We ask that you would also comfort and encourage those parents whose hearts are broken, whose children have rebelled. Oh, Lord, we thank you that there is forgiveness with you, and we need it. We thank you that there is abundant grace with you, and we need it. We thank you that you are our Father who has compassion on his children. And we come to you, we run to you, Unto your everlasting arms, like wings gathering us together. We thank you for your mercy. But we do again plead, use us to faithfully train and teach our children that they too would be gathered into your family as your precious children. We ask through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.